I wish there was like a damper button I could hit when we whisk the wheel just so that I could yell into the mic. <laughs> I usually yell away from my mic. Mm. I yell at my friend named Mike. Oh, I see. One, two, I see. Three, hit it, boy. Uh. <laughs> Get together, have a few laughs. Uh oh, shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Hey, put the freaking gun down on the ground right now. Take your shot across the freaking street and say that until we come and get you. Hello, and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. My name is Kendrick Martin. And I'm Josh Carter. So, what we normally do here is we discuss a movie that stars our favorite Brucey boy, Bruce Willis. We kind of like we'll break each of these movies down and then try to tell you if we think that it's worth it or not for you to watch. But we're not going to do that today. Today's a a very special episode about a bunch of episodes, a.k.a. a TV show. So this episode, we're going to be talking about his TV show, Moonlighting, the TV show that sparked a career that sparked a podcast. Find our previous episodes at williswaypod.com. You can find other podcasts in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network by heading on over to lastoftheactionheroes.com. If you want to support this podcast, we would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a star rating, and we will read them on air. Um, speaking of ratings, normally in each episode, we'll rate a movie, a Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis to try to give you an idea of whether or not we think that this movie is worth watching. However, we watched like a bunch of little movies, AKA TV show episodes. Um, Kendrick and I collectively watched the same four episodes. Um, we didn't catch the entirety of the show. We watched the pilot and then a, a smattering of other other goodies throughout um we weren't able to watch the entirety of the show and i found myself kind of pleasantly surprised so i guess it's one of those things where like i wouldn't recommend somebody go out and watch the entirety of the show especially because it's so hard to get but i think that if you ever are watching uh, tv and one of the channels has moonlighting playing on it i think that it's it's worth a a sit down and watch even though it isn't perfect we'll get into that in a little bit so i find it kind of hard to rank the entirety of a show because it's going to have high points and low points but out of the stuff that i watched i would gladly give it a bruce w what about you kendrick um i agree and so we should say that uh we were able to get seasons one through three on DVD and we looked at the highest rated episodes of those seasons to f- determine what episodes to watch. So we definitely watched what um, both audiences and kind of and critics claim are the best episodes. Uh, I think this show, this show was a massive success at the time and made ABC a lot of money and a lot of people look back fondly on it now uh i I, it's funny that you can't find it for available on streaming anywhere because Mm -hmm. i feel like it would be great to watch in a streaming setting especially where you could pick and choose the episodes to watch yeah this show and we'll get into this in a little bit 
but this show has a general kind of story going over it and then unlike a lot of other shows it doesn't have a ton of episode to episode continuity and so it makes popping around really easy kind of once you figure out the format all that to say i agree with you on your rating i'll probably rate it a little bit higher because i found a lot of the work very novel um Mm -hmm. and some of the episodes were doing things that tv shows had never done before and i think nowadays we see a lot of this stuff as not that surprising if you were to see the the uh, storytelling choices made but i think he uh the showrunners and the network and everything like made some bold choices here. So I'd probably give it like a Bruce, Bruce W I Bruce. We, one thing yeah. we never talked, one thing we never talked about. And I just realized as we were starting this tonight, his full name is Walter Bruce Willis. We should be saving our Walter Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis for something that really blows <laughs> us away. Oh Yeah. Like, we just assume that every movie that is at least somewhat watchable already has a Walter space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of assumed. But if we get to some real stinkers, let's just get a wall or something and then really, really surprise people. I was listening to another another podcast today, and they were talking about reviewing movies and TV, and <clears throat> they talked about this concept, which is what we have here, of you want to get into the nuts and bolts of something. And a lot of times you spoil it as you talk about it. And so people aren't going to listen to it without having seen it necessarily because they don't want to be spoiled. Yeah. But you want to give them a heads up up at the beginning on whether or not you want to watch it. And they kind of discuss the challenge of, of figuring out how to do that and how to format that and how to label that. And I was like thinking to myself, man, the Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis uh, method needs to be like spread to the world. People need to use this <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> How do you rate movies? Cause like Bruce's uh, role and his performance factor into my, my Bruce Willis rating. How do you rate that for any other movie? Like, does that translate? Could you rate like toy story of Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis? Mm. I think, I mean, I, be- I believe, uh, I don't remember who it was that sent us an email that defined it as like basically a 12, a one to 12 ranking system. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the fact that if it gets at least a Bruce, we think it's worth watching. And the more of the Willis it gets, the more we recommend watching it, mm-hmm. uh, I think is a great way to sum up this ranking system for me because it's easily delineated in to terrible, good, but not worth your time. Good. And worth your time, though not great, and then great. Yeah. And certainly worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I agree. We <laughs> not to like uh pat ourselves on the back too much, but I am pretty proud of our Willis ranking system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it checks off boxes I didn't even know were were boxes that needed yeah. to be checked off. Yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah, boxes we didn't know we had are getting checked right and left. Exactly. <laughs> All right, if you are listening and you want to comment on our Willis ranking system or ask us not to ever talk about Willis ranking system again, you can email us 
willisswaypod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us, willisswaypod. We also have an Instagram, willisswaypod. There's also the Last of the Action Heroes Facebook page. You can head on over there and post comments, corrections, ask how much moonlighting is Action Hero, all that kind of stuff. Of course. And with all that said, let's dive into moonlighting. Someone might So normally here we would play the trailer and read you the IMDb description for the movie. This time I think the opening theme song seems most appropriate. Josh, what did you think of this opening theme song? I at first was like, oh my God, it's 80s. I love it. And then like the second time through, I was like, nope, fuck this. And the third time through, I was like, do not like this at all. Want to skip. And then the fourth time through, I was like, oh, yeah, it's my shit. (laughs) Wow, you were all over the place. I thought it was kind of interesting at first, but then, yeah, it got on my nerves and kind of continued to get on my nerves. Yeah. Uh, It it was like the most way to put you in the time, though. Oh, yes. It has like intense synths and everything. Mm -hmm. I think you had texted me when you first started watching it. You're like, this is very 80s. Yeah. And in the pilot episode, there's like that one shot of the guy running and it has just like nothing but synths and like 80s clothes everywhere. And you're like, oh my God, yep. this is, yeah. The theme song <laughs> was co-written and performed by jazz singer Al Jaru. Jaru, I be- I'm not sure. I'm not sure how his name is pronounced, but he, uh, it was a hit at the time. People loved it. Oh yeah? Yeah. This is a big deal. You could... Switch on the radio and then hear the moonlighting theme song. (laughs) Yeah. That's Uh, wild. Yeah, so I'll read the quick synopsis of the overall TV show. It was the quirky cases of former model and smart Alec detective who manage a private detective agency. If you you didn't know anything about the show, would you guess that Bruce Willis is the former model or smart Alec detective? Uh, I would guess that he's probably the smart smart Alec detective. Uh, Good guess. Good guess. Sybil Shepard is his co-star in this. And this show really only has like five cast members. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The two of them. And then Alice uh, Beasley plays Agnes DePesto, the receptionist. And And she's hilarious. Yeah. She's great. And then uh, Curtis Armstrong kind of comes in in the later half of the show to play a love interest with her character. So let's first talk about, let's uh, 
call out the episodes we did watch. So we watched the pilot, mm-hmm. um, and then we watched, at least I watched. I'm not sure if we watched the same ones, but I watched season two, episode two, which was the Iron Lady in the Mask. Uh, Lady yeah. in the Iron Mask. Yeah, Lady in the Iron Mask. Yeah, and I watched that one. Season two, episode four, which was You Only Dream Twice. Yep, um, I watched that one too. And then season two, episode 18, Camille. Yep. I also watched that one. And then that was it for me. Okay. And then I also watched a handful of season three episodes, but maybe we'll save that conversation for a different time because there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, so I would, I would definitely Part two tease. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would suggest uh, maybe we'll come back and talk about those. So today we'll just be talking about the pilot and those three season two episodes. Yeah. that sounds good this show is essentially set up in the pilot as kind of a a romance comedy meets episode mystery of the week show Mm -hmm. um but and again you know we bounced around a lot of episodes i found that most episodes did not have a mystery of the week yeah (laughs) it was like not even a lot of times shows will have mysteries of the week as set dressing and especially a lot of shows in the 90s did this where you get like 30 episodes and every episode, you know, there's a mystery. And then after all 30 episodes, you realize that they were telling a smaller story throughout the whole season. Yeah. This show, it seems like a lot of episodes just focus on the relationship between Sybil Shepard's character and Bruce Willis's character. And yeah. so they, like we said, the cast was really small. And when it started, Bruce Willis was an unknown. I think they cat. I think they auditioned three thousand people for his character. Yeah, and yeah, just like tons of people. <laughs> Sybil Shepherd was had been in a lot of movies. She was well known in Hollywood, and um, her career had kind of been lingering. And so this TV show not only sparked the career that sparked the podcast, aka Bruce Willis's career. It helped reignite Sybil Shepherd's career and kind of spawned a, a rebirth of what she did. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting because, like, apparently when they had first started this show, everybody's kind of like, "Yeah, here we go," and then all excited about it and stuff like that. And uh, then throughout the show, Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis both became increasingly hard to work with, and the show still is like extremely popular and stuff like that. So I always find it interesting when there's like people that make something that's entertaining to watch, even though they hate it. Like another example would be like the, the last boy scout that we had watched before mm-hmm. where it's just like a really sour experience for basically everybody involved. Um, and then it ended up making a movie that we both, we both liked well enough. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting to me whenever stuff like that happens. I think, um, and I don't know if maybe this conversation, we can we can dive into it now or we can save it more when we talk about that season three stuff. But as the show goes on, the it starts because it's picking up popularity and ABC is dumping a lot of money into each episode and making a lot of money. Like it, it definitely was a successful TV show in all accounts. It won a lot of awards. It got a lot of money. It made a lot these you know these people famous. Um, as the show goes on, you know, Bruce Willis creates Die Hard, 
and becomes mm-hmm. kind of less patient with the pace of a TV show and the demand of a TV show. And Sybil yeah. Shepherd gets pregnant with twins and then has to raise twins. So, so not only are there outside pressures on top of, um, it seems that we know Bruce Willis was a diva from previous, you know, we've talked a lot about how hard he is to work on set, especially in those early days. And as time goes on, I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, post diehard success, he was a challenge to work with. And then Sybil Shepard also had a lot of demands in the way things worked. So you had, you had talent with demanding attitudes, you had external pressures, but then on top of that, the show itself was extremely challenging to produce from many other perspectives. For example, the uh, filming time for each episode tended to be one to two weeks as opposed to less than a week for a lot of other contemporary shows. So mm-hmm. each episode would take quite a long time to film and the script size was usually much larger than a normal TV episode because the dialogue is so fast and witty and a lot of times they're talking over each other or almost uh, simultaneously that that means that you're writing, you know, all that extra dialogue in order to fill the episode. And then once that becomes kind of your, uh, your, what you're known for, you have to continue doing that. And they kind of, you kind of dig yourself into a hole. And as the show goes on, it almost becomes a running gag in commercials and advertisement and in the episode itself about how the episodes are always delayed and coming in late. And mm-hmm. they, they will joke about, you know, AMC or ABC executives kind of like, it's like, you know, 6.59 on a Wednesday or whatever minute before the episode airs and somebody's running through the studio with a tape to pop in the, to air. Like those kind of jokes became commonplace. Uh, so th- yeah. the end of the show, it definitely kind of went out in a fiery explosion of a lot of drama. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm really curious, especially to see the last season. I know that we don't have access to it at the moment, but... I'd love to someday watch that because I'm sure that you could probably feel the drama just watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the episodes we did see. So let's start with the pilot. So um, we can kind of break down. And the pilot really sets the premise for the rest of the show. So Sybil, Sybil Shepherd plays um, a, a former model, and her character name is Maddie Hayes. And she... the the episode starts with her finding out that she has been swindled by her financial manager and all of her accounts have been taken. And the only thing she has left really are the businesses she owned, which had been kind of forced into failure for tax purposes. And so she starts mm-hmm. going from business to business, closing them down, selling them off, trying to get rid of them so that she can reclaim any money that she can. And that she comes to, uh, Blue Moon Detective Agency. They renamed the detective agency at some point. I don't remember if it's always called Blue Moon Detective Agency, but I don't uh, remember. So they did they close that she she tries to close down the detective agency, but Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis fights tooth and nail to keep it going, claiming that he can be a great detective and he convinces Maddie to be his partner and then uh the rest of the show essentially is them running this detective agency and Bruce Willis being the lovable scamp and uh, 
Sybil Shepherd's character kind of being the um, annoyed, frustrated boss slash female character. I, I'm really excited for you to watch that Shakespeare episode because it's the taming of the shrew. Oh yeah. And that, that basically describes so much of this show is like a, a, a modern setting of the taming of the shrew almost. And I feel like that's where it starts for me to really click because maybe we can just talk about this a little bit right now on its face. This show is very dated in its, uh, gender politics. And I, I think in all accounts it's dated yeah. in its gender politics, but I yeah. think it, it's striving to be a little more, uh, I don't know if I want to say progressive, but it's striving to be a little bit more than what, um, it feels like on its face. And I think in the time it stood out a little bit more in the sense of, uh, Bruce Willis is like misogynistic, but misogynistic turned up to 11 where Mm -hmm. you have to notice it. You can't just kind of overlook it. Like I think a lot of other stories where if he's just making comments, people are just kind of like, Oh, whatever. And, but she can call him out and you can't like disagree with her or call her like Bruce Willis is annoyingly doing it. At least I found. And then as the show goes on, they talk about that in the workplace a little bit more and how, Uh, um, this this idea of of relationships can work and i don't think that they pulled it off and i mean the end of the as the show goes on their their love story kind of takes some turns and twists that are bad bad looks especially today but um i th- i think and I don't know, but I think they're trying to show some elements of sexism while also challenging sexism. And mm-hmm. a lot of it doesn't work, but it is interesting to think that they were at least talking about that and trying that. I'm not sure. I know that a lot of the the publicity post this show has been around Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard's relationship publicly and privately and kind of how a lot of people blame Sybil Shepherd for the failing of this show because mm-hmm. everyone says she was so hard to work with. And I think that is the sexism that we really see is how they were both extremely hard to work with, but because Sybil Shepherd was a woman and also she was raising kids. I think she kind of gets a lot of the, um, she's painted as like, you know, the shrew, and yeah. in real life. And I think that uh, that was unfortunate. But all that to say, let's get back to the, let's get back to talking about the pilot. So as the pilot goes on, there's this ridiculous, ridiculous mystery around this guy whose watch gets stolen and then are swapped. And it's got the secret code to a safe and then there's this other guy who kidnaps Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd and holds them hostage and threatens them to like grill their hand on a stove. It's just like so ridiculous. And you're just oh, like, yeah. what are we watching right now? What yeah. were your feelings watching the, watching that episode? Well, I was just like 
please, for the love of God, don't make this like a main series villain because that guy was kind of hard to watch. Yeah, he was rough. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, it was it was kind of bonkers. The first episode, I feel like, and granted, we I didn't watch all a bunch of episodes of season one, so I don't know if it's entirely like this, but the first episode felt kind of run of the mill like i found myself kind of bored with it a few different times and i thought that like the mystery i was just like i see what's coming i see what's coming and it doesn't really feel like it's going going anywhere um and so i like ended that episode not super excited for what came next but then for whatever reason, something definitely feels like it changed in between the episode that I watched in season one and the episodes that I watched in season two. I just felt like they, uh, they got a little bit more of the, their legs under them. And it felt like it was more new what it wanted to be. Cause like in that first episode, I think Bruce Willis's misogyny is just like kind of made with as just a statement. It doesn't really feel like they're, or sorry, made not as a statement, just made as a thing that exists. And then in the other episodes, I got a feeling that they were being more self-reflective with it, kind of like what you were saying. So I, yeah, I wasn't thrilled with that first episode, I'll say. Yeah, I agree. That first episode was a bit of a slog and I was not looking forward to watching more of this. And I was thinking, how are people so in love with this show? It uh, just feels like any other Gennaro 1980s, you know, teledrama sitcom meets detective story. I don't know, Columbo yeah. or uh, Matlock or something like some, I'm sure there's great episodes. You know, there are great episodes of Matlock, but it's not like I'm sitting down super excited to watch Matlock. It's, you know, yeah. it's, Mat- it's Matlock every night. And then we skip. So I, I clicked around a little bit on the other season one episodes and they were very similar of mystery happens. Um, Maddie and David, the characters played by Sybil and Bruce bicker a little bit here and there. Bruce tries to woo her. She says, what are you even thinking? And then they, you know, they solve the mystery and they go home. And I was like, well, yeah, this is kind of boring, but now mm-hmm. let's cut to the next episode we watched, which was season two episode two lady in the mask. So this episode um, is a great, like the progression here is fascinating because it, the, as the show goes on, it gets weirder and weirder. And so this episode is similar to those previous episodes where there's like a mystery to solve and there's the relationship dynamic between the two of them. But the, the mystery itself is extremely bizarre and the solving of the mystery is extremely bizarre. And I think they start to really <laughs> lean into the humor here. So yeah. the premise is a woman comes into the detective agency. Oh, I guess another thing we should say, a running joke is that this detective agency is failing and continually trying to get work. Yeah. And also this show is extremely self-referential and breaks the fourth wall a lot, even before it's quote unquote breaking the fourth wall. But for example, this, you know, is a detective agency and they each have their own. It's just in a massive LA office and they have a, just a ton of people working for them and they're all just sitting around doing nothing most of the time. 
And mm-hmm. no one ever is like, we should lay these people off. We don't need 17 people working for a failing detective agency. It's just, <laughs> and none of those other people ever have lines, never even yep. pretend to be working. It's usually just like a bit where they pan the camera across them and they're all doing silly things like, you know, pouring their coffee from one cup to the next or, or just ridiculous stuff that is not, yeah. not to make sense, but just like part of the shtick of the show. Yeah. And something that I kind of like is that like this Bruce Willis character um, just makes literally no sense at all because he is, he's working for this detective agency where their job initially is to be a investment that loses money so that she has it as a tax write off. But then he's like really excited about actually being the legitimate detective agency so i don't know what his whole plan was as a person just from the get-go where he's like i'll work for this detective agency that's failing where i won't get any cases and then i'll continue to drive it into the ground and then i will get cases and make a lot of money it's like i don't know I don't know what you were thinking, Mr. David Edison. That makes no yeah. sense. I, ca- I mean, I they reference a little bit around the tax stuff. Like, that, that's kind of just kind of loosely written, you know, talked around. But I I got the feeling that they were solving cases. They were also just, you know, having extravagant lunches and hiring, mm-hmm. you know, 10 million people to work their front desk and everything so that no matter how much business they had, they're always losing money. But you also never really get the impression that he's that great of a detective. He's definitely like, yeah. uh, I, I liken David Addison to a better looking Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how familiar you are with Seinfeld, but a little bit, um, Kramer in Seinfeld is a character who you can describe as failing upwards. So he continually is doing the most stupid and ridiculous things and yet can somehow like continue to exist and live and do the next most ridiculous thing. And it's all for comedic and like non-realistic effect. But uh, this is similar to how I kind of see the Bruce Willis character of David Addison here is he doesn't ever really seem to have a plan or be good at what he does, but he just continues to succeed. Mm-hmm. That is definitely true. Yeah. Cause he doesn't make ton- tons of sense otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And th- like there's an episode, there's a bit where, uh, like the there's a classic running joke of the episode opens almost every episode opens this way where the elevator doors ding and Sybil Shepherd walks out and you follow her feet down the hallway uh Quentin Tarantino style no I mean she's got shoes on but you follow her feet down the hallway she walks into the office and she opens the doors and instead of working people are doing ridiculous things so they're doing the limbo and or they're they're goofing off or or doing something and then Sybil Shepherd has to be the mom character, you know, get back to work, everybody quit goofing off. Um, mm-hmm. And actually read an interview with the writers of this show that said that the reason that they put in those opening scenes of walking down the hallway was because they needed filler because they could never write enough uh, and write, couldn't write fast enough so that while they would continue writing while they filmed her walking and like preparing to walk down the hallway. Yep. Man, that is a way to do it. Yeah. That is a way to do it. Well, and apparently I watched one of the episodes that um, on YouTube, there's a clip of Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard just doing like a 
Hey, we're here to introduce to you the show Moonlighting. Moonlighting is a show. It's a show that we are in. We're both in Moonlighting. <laughs> and then you hear like a producer behind the camera be like, that wasn't long enough. And then they're like, all right, here's the deal. We only filmed 42 episodes of TV shows, so we have to fill these other three minutes before the commercials kick in. And it's just like them making stuff up for a bit. And they did stuff like that all the time. Like, apparently, I read this somewhere, and I don't know that this is true because I couldn't find any proof of it. But apparently one of the teaser trailers that was released for these episodes, because a lot of TV shows would have like a teaser trailer released for an episode. There was just like some guy playing a intern running the camera up to or running the uh, the film reel up to where it's supposed to be. And then them being like, oh, where's the where's the episode? We don't know. We'll see if we have another episode coming out. (laughs) And that was like the entirety of their teaser. So it. It was just a a mess of a show. Like if you look on Wikipedia, there's their original air date, and so many of them have huge gaps in them because they're like, I don't, I don't know, we can't film it. It's too difficult. Uh, I didn't write enough stuff. Uh. There's actually <laughs> a season bonkers. three. There's a season three episode, which if we do a part two of this, will be fun to talk about. Where it opens with a. Uh, like a, a news reporter-esque recapping of the show saying why everything was delayed. And it was like, one of our actors had twins and one of our actors broke had a terrible skiing accident, which I didn't know Bruce Willis actually did break his ankle skiing. And it was just like <laughs> show, using like, and it was like live footage of ABC executives. And it's like some, you know, three stooges bit of them falling off a bridge or something. And it's just like <laughs> extremely self-referential. And I thought it was all very funny. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, so the the episode, The Lady in the Iron Mask, the the central plot is this woman comes into the to the detective agency, and of course, our leads are jumping at the bit for any possibility to have a case. And she's wearing a mask, and, she, and her story is that she was horribly disfigured, and she wants... It, it's a complicated story about, like, needing to find someone and being betrayed and this and that, and... But she essentially wants someone to uh, be found. And so they're like, mm-hmm. okay, we can do that. And so the they start tracking this person down and they find him. And then right after they find him, he ends up dying. And they're like, oh, they blame the woman in the mask. And the episode, basically the TLDR of this episode is it ends with finding out that the person in the mask is not who you thought was in the mask, a la Scooby-Doo-esque ending. But yes. in order to find this out, Separately, both Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd put on the same dress and mask costume. And so there's just this ridiculous ending of these four people in full dresses and mask getups running through this hotel. And there's like a soap spill. And so they go careening through. The, it's just like so ridiculous of a shift from that pilot, which is just a buy the pay-by-numbers detective agency story to this, which is, you know, madcap slapstick. Yeah. I I thought that once they got to this point, I was like, all right, good job, everybody. Good job. This is entertaining. And once... Because I watched all of them, like, back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back in one day. I watched all four of these episodes, so it was a lot of moonlighting. But the... That ending bit... (laughs) I was still in the mindset of that pilot episode 
And so once Bruce Willis is putting on a dress and stuff, I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Yep. And then they like run into the same waiter over and over and over again. And he's increasingly like spilling more things and then falls into a customer's lap and stuff like that. And by that time I was like, okay, this show was just like a goofball show that was stuck in some stuffy job for season one. And it is now here to entertain. And I was there for it. I loved it. I I can't think of another show that uh, takes such wild swings with its show production. I'm sure that it exists. I'm sure that something exists out there. If you're listening and you have an example, you know, send us an email. But especially as the show goes on, every episode, it's almost like not a show i i feel like it's i liken it more i was thinking it's almost more like if you had um snl but without the stand-up bits if it was just back to back like the digital shorts and the other Mm -hmm. uh staged shorts if those just those all all split together but with similar characters because there's so little connective tissue other than their relationship and it is so mm-hmm. bizarre from episode to episode. Yeah, like I think a show kind of like this could actually do pretty well today if it was done right. But I also don't think that it needed to be a 45-minute show. I think that that's one of the mm, things that works yeah. against it. Yeah, and I think that's something that the internet age has made better is we don't need to write for commercials. You can yeah. You can make a smaller show. You can go anywhere from like a YouTube 15 minute show to, you know, an hour and a half long show. Um, Another, a couple other quick notes about this episode that really like made me sit up and start paying attention. The show has a lot of, the writing is a lot better. And so Bruce Willis starts to really find his groove with his quips and one-liners. And I thought you can really see his funny side coming out. And it's, it's kind of straddling the line of, uh, you don't see this a lot anymore, but kind of those older comedies where there's a lot of one-liners said to the audience by people that you would never say in the setting, but people are mm-hmm. just like, they're saying something and no one, no one there reacts because it's kind of just like said for the sake of the audience as a joke. Those mm-hmm. are, those are come out a whole lot more. This episode also had a lot of really great camera uh camera work so there's a lot of great um zooms and and crane shots and i thought that the camera production work seemed like great for a tv show yeah well apparently i read that they uh, when they were making this the show they kept going like all right i want to make it not look like a tv show so whenever they could avoid using a zoom and instead they could use a dolly shot, they did that Mm. and it just drove up the time. It drove up the budget for every single episode, but because ABC was making it all in house, they weren't Mm -hmm. having to pay somebody else for it. So they could spend a lot more money and have it still be worth it because it was doing so well. So Mm -hmm. it kind of happened in like a really sweet spot time for a show like this to where they really could experiment and do all sorts of funky stuff with the writing while still making it look good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's go to the next episode. You only dream twice. Now, this episode is on many film critic lists of like greatest episode of all time. Uh, it's it was lauded even 
even into the 2000s as a great episode of TV. Mm-hmm. And this episode opens with a introduction by Orson Welles. And it I had to look this up, but it airs just days after his death. So yeah. it was it was that close to him dying that they managed to record him speaking. And he, I'm not sure, he seems to love Moonlighting and he, he, he praises it. Uh, I don't know if he was just paid to say that or if he actually felt that way, but he is talking about how this show is taking chances that other shows aren't taking, particularly in this episode, they you they go to black and white um, motto, what does he call it? It's like single single track audio. It has some strange way motto? to describe yeah, I don't describe know. the audio. Uh, he's like, don't adjust your set. It's a it's a it's a artistic choice. And apparently ABC kind of required them to do that because they were afraid that people would get angry if they just, this episode suddenly just shifted to black and white. Just so weird. Cause if he did that nowadays, nobody would bat an eye. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this, I also, this, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I really liked how the episode used black and white for the 40 sequences, but apparently they also like, shot it on black and white film like they didn't just recolor mm-hmm. it they were yeah. like, they they went expansive yeah uh this episode almost has a rashomon-esque quality so yeah uh again breaking breaking with the you know mystery of the week in a typical sense our two leads are at a old hollywood cinema and they hear about a uh, murder that happened, you know, 50 years ago or whatever. And it was never solved or they don't, they don't, they're not sure what happened. And, um, Sybil Shepard believes that the guy was the murderer and Bruce Willis believes that the woman was the murderer and they get into an argument and they each go home and fall asleep and have separate dream sequences about what could have happened that night. And, Mm -hmm. In the dream sequences, the two of them are playing the kind of the main people in that story. And that's the dream sequences are where we go to black and white and where the audio changes. And we see them. Bruce Willis gets to show us his musical chops here. Uh, I thought this episode was was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that episode. I was afraid once Orson Welles was only in the beginning that it was going to be like a tiny little footnote in his career. And it is, but it was still a good episode. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually like waiting for him to show up more because I thought maybe he had more to do with that episode, but he, mm-hmm. he he's not, he's just there because of his fame in filmmaking. But I thought it was like a nice kind of cap on the episode. Um, For sure. And it is kind of an interesting thing where they talk about uh, um, Sybil Shepherd is like, there's no way the woman could have killed him. It has to be the guy. And then Bruce Willis calls her a sexist. And she's like, there's no way I can be sexist. And then they kind of like have this argument about, could it be possible that the other person killed them? And uh, they have that, either the man or the woman killed this guy. And it, and the story is kind of like a love triangle and you're kind of seen. Um, I got a lot of Rashomon. I don't remember if I said that already, but I got a lot of Rashomon 
uh, vibes from the way they told that story. Yeah. Um, all right. And then anything else you want to say on that episode before we move on to our final episode? Uh, nope. I think we've touched bases on everything that was, that was, uh, special to me about that episode. So the last episode is the episode called Camille. And this might be my favorite episode of everything, um, of everything I watched. That makes sense. Cause this episode is, is wild. <laughs> It like goes in and it it tries to like, it tries to set up like kind of a regular mystery sort of a thing where you're not really sure what this con woman is doing, whose name is Camille, played by Whoopi Goldberg. And then you start to realize that it isn't really much of a mystery and that doesn't matter. What matters is her as a person. And then you're like, oh, but then she's being followed by like this crooked policeman who's uh, played by Judd Nelson, who is in um, The Breakfast Club. And the episode just keeps going into like slightly more ridiculous places, but it still feels really grounded right up until like the last (laughs) eight minutes of this episode. And then it jumps the shark in the best way possible. Yeah, I agree. It's funny you mentioned Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club because it looks like he, he... barely made it out of high school and then somehow like got a job at the detective or at the police agency because he's like the youngest, most crooked cop. His character is is pretty wild. This is like, I've seen a lot of bad stuff in my four years here on the force. I know. I know. (laughs) This episode opens with, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character, Camille in a, uh, nursing home while the nurses are like on shift change or on coffee break or something, trying to sneak in a, a wedding to this old guy to get his estate. And then the old guy dies before the wedding can keep going. Like that's where this episode starts. Yeah. It yeah. Is and then I was like, so is ridiculous. that a mystery? And yeah. it's like, nope. No. That was just a fun little tidbit. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then there's a chase and they're chasing oh, each other. Yeah. And then she ends up saving the mayor accidentally and is that going to be the mystery are we going to find out why the mayor or the governor or whoever was about to get assassinated (laughs) nope never mentioned again but it does it all in like a very satisfying way like it's very snappy and moves along and so because they're doing such fun things with the show and with the characters i was really forgiving about all these loose threads because they're done on purpose they they aren't like accidents and it's all done in the for the sake of a good time and for the the sake of the last 10 minutes of the episode and and uh you're not even like we don't see our moonlighting leads for the first i don't know 8 minutes of the show yeah. like they're not shown till well after this whole bit that we've already talked about has happened and David Addison and Maddie Hayes are like, let's get this woman to work for us as a detective. She's, she stopped this assassination attempt. She obviously has detective <laughs> skills. And they're like, all right, let's do it. And the whole the whole purpose being, she's so famous, she'll make the detective agency famous. I don't know. It, yep. It's so silly. Step three profit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um since this show is really hard to find, I guess we could probably spoil that ending bit, but, um, I think we should the, the, yeah, the first, the first notice that I had that 
this show is going to go into some some weird ass places is when the bad guy Judd Nelson has a gun pulled on uh all three of them Bruce Willis as a David Addison and then Cybill Shepherd and um uh Whoopi Goldberg and then Bruce Willis has like a hairdryer that he's pointing back at him <laughs> and they're like they're like having this conversation and then Judd Nelson keeps being like I'm going to threaten you and kill you blah 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 and they're at a hair salon and then each time he's talking there's four ladies that all have their hair in like these hair dryer things and then they all take it off at the same time and go what and then our heroes and the villain are like shut up it's not important go back to doing what you're doing and that happens like three times while they have their guns drawn on each other and i was like what the hell is happening guns quote unquote yeah guns quote unquote and then um the bruce willis is like trying to talk him down and he's like come on think of your wife think of your kids and then i was starting to go like what how does he even know that and then judd nelson just goes i'm gay (laughs) (laughs) oh my god fucking killed me (laughs) so good yeah so this is where and this is where the episode like really starts to to take a turn into the yeah, this the is silly. teetering on the precipice, right? Yeah. Here. So up until now, up until now, the story has been somewhat sensical. You know, yeah. <laughs> Camille's character has been found out, and so she's on the run, and then she gets caught, and <clears throat> uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd find her, and they're like, "All right, we'll save you from from Judd Nelson and his gun." And so they start they start in a hair salon. That makes sense, but then they immediately walk onto a set. And I thought, well, that's weird. Is there just like a, a theater next door? And uh, they're like walking across this set and it's like got a cityscape behind them. And this guy's like, wait, come back. We're not done filming. And I was like, well, that was weird. Did they just assume that they were part of the play? And then they walk out and then they're on a Hollywood studio lot. And they get in a golf cart and they start driving through the studio lot. And then they're all they're being chased. And as they are on this golf cart, they drive through a rack of clothing and immediately their costumes are changed, like what you do when you drive through a rack of clothing. And it, like Whoopi Goldberg is in this like Orphan Annie outfit with a wig and it is just so ridiculous. And then they people start to be like, wait, aren't you? And then they just they interrupt him and keep going. And this continues yep. on and on and on and all kinds of like silly Hollywood and studio like- stuff. Judd Nelson goes up to like this cowboy and who's on a horse and he's like, are you a bad guy? And he's like, I am a bad guy. He's like, well, give me a ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause he's like, I'm a bad guy too. And up until, up until now I was like, okay, there, the show takes place in Hollywood or LA. So them being close to a studio kind of makes sense. Like I, yeah, I was still I'm kind of this, like the reality. in the world of what was going on. Yeah, and then it gets back to the detective agency and they're they're cornered, and Bruce Willis is trying to talk his way out of it. And Judd Nelson has a gun on him. And then this guy just walks in and goes, "Hey, uh, the prop department needs a gun back. You ran out of time." And he just takes the gun and walks away. <laughs> he just walks out of out of the side of the frame. Yeah, and yeah. then like <laughs> the more people start walking in and like grabbing paintings off the wall. Yeah, they're just like, tearing down the set. All right, time to go. Judd Nelson's character is like, but what about the end of the story? Like, <laughs> yeah, we should mention that this um, was the season finale of season two. Yeah. So they're talking like 
So these guys are like, all right, we're done for the season. We got to get this stuff back in the warehouse. We, we can use this soundstage. And Bruce Willis like takes them aside and is, gives them the denouement of like, you would have missed. I would have caught you. You would have gone to jail. You would have turned your life around. It was just a yeah. very funny like, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah through the end of it, which I thought was great. Oh, it was great. I'm not sure if that was as Bruce Willis or if that was Bruce Willis oh, yeah, I don't playing know David Addison or if that was David Addison who realizes that he's in a, a show and he's also named David Addison. So he's playing a version of himself. I don't know. I don't need to know. It's fine. <laughs> so this um, <clears throat> I I feel like so Arrested Development and uh, The Office and Parks and Rec all had some of this comedy where uh, the less arrested development but more so the other stuff where they kind of acknowledge the cameras in the room and it's done Mm -hmm. there's this conceit of oh we're being filmed as a documentary so they can talk to the camera or like you know look to the camera that kind of stuff this show moonlighting also has similar stuff but it never has that kind of we're filming a documentary conceit yeah it it will often act it will break the fourth wall but in a way where they still are acting as their own characters, but they're just kind of acknowledging the character in the best breaking of the forest wall way. This episode being a great example. Oh um, yeah. And then the, the the end of the episode, after everybody kind of just goes their separate way, our leads, uh, Bruce Willis, Sybil Shepherd, and then the woman who plays the receptionist, um, what was her name? Alison Beasley. Uh, Alice Beasley. They just meet in the parking lot and they're like, okay, I hope you all have a great summer. We'll meet back here next year for season three or whatever. And uh, at this at this point, you can kind of see that there's like a budding romance between Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd. I'm assuming, so this is episode 18 of season two. We skipped mm-hmm. a lot between episode four and episode 18. Presumably there's a little more building with that romance there. But um, yeah, this episode... I just that ending alone, I was in awe of where this episode went. Yeah, same here. If you guys want to help us uh, shame ABC into putting this on Hulu or Disney Plus, please uh, join us because we'll definitely have to start tweeting about that too. <laughs> yeah, some of these episodes can be found on YouTube. I don't know the legality of them, but they they appear to be the whole episode. I think. Wow. I th- I think um, you only dream twice is available in its totality oh, on YouTube, nice. but I haven't looked to see if Camille is or not. Um, yeah, very funny. The there's four episodes in season three that I watched, all of which, not all, so, some of them, most of them have very silly things in them. So hopefully at some point we'll get a chance to talk about them, even if it's just a little brief mention. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Josh, do you know what? Uh, time it probably is uh kendrick i have a guess is it time to eat beans Mm, i don't have a bean watch but i'm gonna say no probably not what's your next guess uh what watch are you wearing i guess that might give me a clue i am wearing my wheel of willis watch oh my goodness i'm gonna guess that it's time for the wheel of willis you are correct you read my you read my (laughs) mind and the words that i just said Hey, <laughs> well, do you know what we say every time we uh, spin the wheel of Willis, Kendrick? Uh, every time we spin the wheel of Willis, we say, whisk, whisk that, that wheel. wheel. All right. 
So if this, oh, this is this is great because it's kind of a a generic one. But if this Bruce Willis character was a teacher, what would his class be? Ooh. Uh, and I guess we might want to say like maybe a high school teacher, and then do like a college professor, so we could kind of because obviously like uh, him teaching forensics class in college would be funny mm. or. I think in the in the universe of the show, he'd probably be teaching something sleazy, like uh, (laughs) how to sneak a Playboy into the bathroom or something. I don't know if that's a class, but you know, you know, (laughs) I I don't, I can't imagine him teaching like anything practical. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, how to drink at work and look cool doing it, something like that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Maybe like a class on how to be a Tom Sawyer or something like that. Mm, There you go. There you go. A grown-up Tom Sawyer. That's a funny way to think of this character. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, cool. Well, I am excited to continue talking about it. As always, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way. We try to talk about our... uh, apple podcast reviews if anybody leaves one so if you guys ever want to go leave one definitely feel free to do that also um please follow us on willis Waypod at willis Waypod on twitter and then you can always email us at willis at gmail.com you can find all of our episodes on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever i listen to podcasts you can find them there too <laughs> wow <laughs> Um, you can find me on Twitter at K Martinix. That's spelled K M A R T I N A X. Or see my other work at kmartinix.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Joshing Carter. So we've already teased this a little bit, but next time, next week even, we will be covering Moonlighting Season 3. The highlights. We're not watching the entire season. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Join us then. As always, thank you for listening. Bye bye. Bye. Oh, yes, it's fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Let you know It's fun time. Shake time. Burp. <clears throat>